Amen. I really don't want to mess up this moment. That was really good. Thanks for leading us, Tay, and to the whole team. Really appreciate that. The reading from God's Word this morning, God's Word to us today is from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 down through 27. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the same one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for the reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Father God, may you honor the reading of your word today with hearing, with understanding, Lord, with the work of your Holy Spirit to bring your truth, your message, your teaching to bear in the minds and the hearts and the lives of each of us. Gathered here in these moments, those who are watching online, those who will watch at a later date, already determined by you, Lord. Oh, they don't know what they're in for. But I pray for your work, your Holy Spirit to speak, to teach, to instruct. Lord, draw us closer to yourself, closer, Lord, in alignment with your will and, and your, your will and your work for us in this world, no matter, Lord, where we may be. To those of us who are stuck and sure in our disbelief, Lord, I pray for words of conviction, Lord, I pray for barriers to be broken down. Lord, I pray for an overwhelming sense of your holiness, your grace, your mercy, your love, your kindness, your goodness, your forgiveness, just to break through all of those barriers that our minds and hearts have erected to keep us away from you. Lord, for those of us struggling with doubt, Lord, I pray for encouragement. Lord, I pray also for assurance. Lord, I pray for just a, a momentary, uh, perhaps longer than a momentary glimpse into the surety we have of your goodness and your grace. 
and your rule over our lives. Lord, for those of us today who are discouraged, Lord, I pray for great encouragement. Lord, I pray for your spirit to speak words that will, that will overturn the things that we're letting inside to our, into our, our heads and into our hearts, either the things in our personal lives or the things in society, the world, the, the, the news feeds, whatever it may be. Lord, I pray for us to be in this moment encouraged because you are Lord. No one or nothing else is. And Lord, for those of us who are devoted today, Lord, I pray for a refilling of the tank. I pray for more boldness, more clarity, more conviction as we speak and as we live as light and salt in this world. And we can only do so by your power, Lord God. As always, I ask for my words not to get in the way of your word, but for you to speak, to work, to bring glory to yourself as Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, your Son, O oh Father God, is lifted up. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. <clears throat> All right. What in the world are you doing here this morning? It is a perfectly beautiful gray June gloom day on the Central Coast. Why aren't you outside? Why aren't you at the windy beach? Why aren't you at the outlets? Why aren't you home watching TV? Are the Dodgers on? No, whatever. We're going to avoid that whole subject for right now. But what are you doing here this morning? There are a million other options, a million better places to be. Oh, not, who's going to applaud that? Let's well, start to clap. Why are you here? Why are you in this place? Just take one couple, just a couple of seconds and look around at each other. What in the world are you doing here? Why has God brought this motley crew together? No offense to our special guests, Tracy and, and others who are not a motley crew. They're really classing up the joint. I'll introduce her a little bit later. But this, there, there is no reason in the world for this motley crew to be together. Other than that, there just may be something more going on in our lives and in our, our world than meets the eye. I do want to give special recognition to someone who is here, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty special day for them, and it's even more amazing that it has happens, that their special day happens to fall on a Sunday. And so they're here celebrating their 35th wedding anniversary. Danny and Katie Mendoza. Now, Katie's already retired, retired. Danny retires here in just a few weeks, so they realize they need to be in church as they go into retirement together. All right, so we're going to be pray, praying a lot for them. No, but you're, you're prioritizing the Lord. We may think that we are here, and, and you are probably here for a variety of reasons. Some it's habit, some it's tradition, some it's social, some you were coerced into being here, whatever it may be. But whatever you, whatever reason you think you are here for is not the reason. The thing is never the thing. The thing is this. God called you here. God has brought you to be a part of this place at this time in these moments for a purpose. 
That's what it means to be the church. In the last number of weeks, we've looked at this whole series of just the basics of what the church in the world really is. And there's the church, big C, the capital C, the church. And then there's churches, small C, congregations. The church in the world. And this is going to backtrack a little bit so we make sure we're all on the same page. When Jesus and the writers of the New Testament use the word church, they are not referring to a building. The first church had no buildings for centuries, hundreds of years, until they actually had buildings dedicated solely for the purpose of gathering together as Christians. The church increased exponentially in that time period as well. But the church does not mean a building. It is never just one place. Church is not an activity. We are not doing church right now. We're not having church. The church is here. Church is not an activity. Church is not a social club. We're, we're not a social services agency, and we are definitely not a political voting block. The word church in the original languages is the word ecclesia, which simply means assembly, gathering, get together. Dare I say a shindig? Maybe not. We'll scratch that one from the official record. The word ecclesia combines two words in that original Greek language, ek, out of or from, and then kaleo, to call, to call out, to call together. That's what Jesus talks about, because I will build my called together ones. I will assemble my people in my name, in my authority, for my purposes. That's what the church really is. And Jesus was not instituting something new. The word he used was actually a very common word. It was, it was used for political announcements, political rallies. It was announced for civic gatherings. Meeting at the town square, everybody would be ecclesiaed for an announcement. They would be called out, called out of their homes, called out of their shops, called together in a public place, a public square, so that an announcement, so that news could be given. That's what the ecclesia is. And there are overturn, over, overtures to this because, yes, there is a political announcement to be made by Jesus. It's that he is king. Caesar is not. He is Lord. No one or nothing else is. The called. The, the called are those that God draws into a relationship with himself through Jesus. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except, except through me, but also the Father needs to draw them into relationship. Have you ever had that nagging sense? And if you look back over your life, you know you're coming to Christ it was not an accident. It was not a coincidence. You just didn't fall into it. You knew God was tugging on your heart. God was arranging circumstances. God was leading you into conversations. God was making you aware of that hole in your heart that could not be filled by anything in this world. God was working. God was drawing you to himself. That's the call of God. And most of us, we, when we get that call, we let it go to voicemail, right? We don't answer it right away. 
Sometimes God takes a while to really get through to us. But that's the call of God. God calls you to himself through Jesus. You begin to look at Jesus. You're, you're, you're enamored with Jesus. You're overwhelmed by the teachings of Jesus. The expression of grace that is given in Jesus just automatically melts your heart or just gives you that sense of, I can be loved. I can be forgiven. It's too good to be true. That's how God calls us into relationship with himself. But that call has to be answered. The call has to be responded to. And the, and the call is responded to by belief and trust, by faith. It means we believe certain things about Jesus. We believe that he died on a cross for our sins, not just as a random criminal, not just one death among millions from that time period, but that his death was special and it was selected by God himself to vicariously represent the death of all of us to sin. So we believe that Jesus died for our sins. We believe that he rose from the dead physically, bodily. His body that was dead was reanimated, re-brought, brought back to life through the power of the Father and of the Holy Spirit to bring Jesus back to life so that death could be conquered, defeated forever, and that he would be established as Lord over all because the greatest enemy, the greatest victor up until the time of Jesus was death. Now death has been defeated. There is no last great enemy. Death is dead. We have eternal life. So we believe that. But because we believe that, then we trust. We, we trust that we are forgiven. Even though we still have that sense within us that I've got I've to make up for my sins. I've got to atone. And so even those of us in faith, we still strive and we still try to work things out. Accepting God's grace is very hard. That's where faith comes in. And we trust that if Jesus is Lord, then my life is in his hands no matter what the government may say. No matter what the, 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 the potential diseases in my body may say, my life does not belong to the government. My life does not belong to those diseases. My life belongs to the Lord. And so we trust. We live out that trust day by day. This is the called. And, and the called are then known as the church. People connected by the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. The church is a spiritual entity. It's never defined by any one name or, or any just one place or any one certain group. The church transcends all of those because the church is every person who yields their autonomy to the authority of Jesus. Now, the church is expressed in physical, visible locations, congregations, churches. Yes, that have many names and a variety of practices and preferences and things like that. So there's the church, and then there's churches. The Apostle Paul refers to the body with one of the most beautiful and powerful metaphors when he calls the church the body of Christ. There's a, a, a double meaning to this. There is great importance to this description. The term body of Christ illustrates two very powerful, very core, very essential truths of what it means to be the church. It expresses the church's purpose. 
The body of Christ was sacrificed on a cross for us. The body of Christ was raised from the dead. The body, the resurrected body of Christ is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, reigning and ruling, bringing all of creation into subjection under his authority. But if Jesus is not here, how does his work continue? His work continues through his body, the church, his people, continuing his earthly ministry, preaching, teaching, and healing. That's what Jesus did while he was here. And now as the people of Jesus, we are the ones who continue to preach and teach and heal in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, according to the commands of Jesus. But the phrase body of Christ also captures the church's essence. People united and bonded together by the redemptive work of Jesus and the reality of living under his reign. After all, he is the head of the body, another term that Paul uses. He is the one under whose authority we live and work and congregate the body of Christ, continuing the work, representing Jesus, but then also being united, as Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's the most extensive description of the church's spiritual nature, uh, how, how, how the church is brought together, many different peoples, all sorts of backgrounds, the necessary diversity that is required to be the church, just like there is diversity in the body. The church consists of those who are baptized by one spirit, the Holy Spirit. This refers to the regenerative spiritual rebirthing initiated by the Holy Spirit when a person yields their autonomy to the authority of Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, when that belief leads us to, to repent of a self-centered life and a reorientation of life to his lordship, we then confess that lordship. We confess our allegiance as we confess our allegiance, we are baptized into Christ, uniting us with Christ. And, and, and the Scriptures themselves link this baptizing of the Spirit with the physical baptism upon faith and confession and repentance. It's a uniting and a, a union with Jesus. We are baptized by one Spirit to become one body under His authority. And by the Holy Spirit, the, the many parts and Paul talks here about Jews and Gentiles and slave and free. In other places, he mentions the fact that male and female are now one in Christ. The circumcised and the uncircumcised, another reference to Jews and Gentiles, they are one in Christ. Barbarians and Scythians, you may not have understood this, but, but barbarians were, were, the, were the, the rabble of the world. They were the uncultured, they were the uncute, they were the savages. But even among the savages, there was a subset of savages who were even more uncouth and more, more uh, savage. That was the Scythians. They were the lowest of the low on the barbarian scale. And Paul says, even them, even them who we think are so far from Christ and so outside of the realm of the love of God, no, they're included too. We're all one. We're made one. Ethnic distinctions, social divisions, economic disparities, religious backgrounds, cultural traditions are all transcended and superseded 
by allegiance to Jesus. Now, yes, those of us who are Gentile, we remain Gentile in Christ. Those of us who are Jews remain Jewish ethnically in Christ. Despite what is often understood today, those of us in Christ, if if we're male, we're we're still a male once we're in Jesus because that does not change. It is immutable. Those who are female remain female in Jesus because masculinity and maleness and femaleness are immutable. But everything else, all these distinctions that can divide and differentiate, they're all eradicated. They're all eliminated. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We're brought together as the body of Christ. And the strength of the body, derived from the power of the Holy Spirit, is the diversity of complementary pieces forming one functioning whole. Paul used the illustration of hands and feet and ears and eyes all working together. As, as a congregation, that's, that's the truth for us as well. Every, every part has been brought together for certain purposes. Every congregation is a microcosm of that very same truth. It is God who ordains who's a part of every congregation. Because God calls, God constitutes, God arranges, God adds, and God excises the parts of each congregation according to his will and his purposes. As Paul says, in reference to the physical body with the spiritual application, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. That's the divine will of God arranging the parts of his body around the world. Along with salvation, the Holy Spirit bestows upon individual believers certain spiritual gifts for the common good, Paul says. The Spirit is the one who determines the gifts. The gifts are for things such as empowering ministry. The Apostle Peter, one of the other main leaders of the early church, wrote this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Empowering ministry. Fostering genuine mutuality as well. There should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. There is a connectivity within congregations brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have need of each other. The the way the Spirit distributes gifting is to, to be strong, to make someone strong where someone else is weak, and then vice versa. There's a reciprocity. There's a codependence within the body of Christ as a congregation We have need of one another. You may be in a difficult season. You may be in a tough season. You may be going through something very, very difficult. Your faith may be tested. Your your faith may be wavering. The beauty of the church is that available to you in those moments, in that season, is someone who has been there, done that, got the shirt, got the scars, paid off the fine, served the time, And they made it through by the grace of God.
they are there for you. There, there's others who, are, who, who may be in a, in a good season. Everything is going great. And you know what you're supposed to do in those seasons when everything is going great and everything's going your way? Get busy serving. Get busy giving. Reach out. Bring some trouble into your life. Because life without trouble is boring. So I've been told. But there's a mutuality. So we, we need one another. You see, God has you here for a purpose. It is not an accident. There's mutuality. It's a spirit that gifts for spiritual maturity as well. Spiritual maturity cannot happen in a vacuum. It cannot happen as a Lone Ranger Christian. For everybody in the room under 50, the Lone Ranger was a character from TV a long time ago where he just, it was just him against the world. Well, then him and his sidekick Tonto. So even the Lone Ranger had someone along with him. He wasn't that lone after all. But you can't do it on your own. Have you ever noticed the, the, the news stories of people who go psycho and start doing weird things? Oh, he seemed like a nice guy. He kept to himself a lot. Didn't seem to have a lot of friends. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, evidently committed suicide in his prison cell yesterday morning. A perfect illustration of someone who, unfortunately through government torture way back in the days, became so isolated and became so cut off from society. An absolutely brilliant mind, so twisted, in so many ways, because of isolation, because of lack of, lack of social relationships, because of lack of connectivity with people in the world. And I'm not saying if you like to keep to yourself, you're going to become a Ted Kaczynski. I'm not saying that at all. We, we all need some peace and quiet once in a while. But it is impossible to mature spiritually just being me and Jesus. Because spiritual maturity is relational. Spiritual maturity happens through serving, through sacrificing, through giving, through bearing one another's burdens, through honoring and esteeming others above yourself, through humbling and lowering yourself so that others may be exalted. That's how spiritual maturity happens. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It can't happen by yourself. So what about us at Oak Park? What do we do with all of this as we wrap up our series on what it means to be the church? You see, the church is about withness, being together. The, the New Testament has nearly 60, I believe there's 59 specific commands. They're called the one another's. 60. 60 commands from Jesus and from the apostles and the other authorities of the early church. Love one another. Well, to love one another, you have to be with one another. It's easy to love, love others when you're at your house or in your car all by yourself, but as soon as you're brought into conversation with someone, as, long as, you're, as soon as you're brought into to life relationship with someone, it gets a hot, lot harder to love them because people are irritating But love one another 12 times from the words of Jesus and from others. 
Confess your sins to one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Build up one another. Encourage one another. Greet one another. Welcome one another. Honor one another. Esteem one another. Serve one another. The only way a disciple of Jesus can obey these commands is to be in community with other believers. If you're doing the me and Jesus thing and we're okay and we're just going to cut ourselves off from all our relationships, you are disobeying nearly 60 commands. What kind of a disciple disobeys 60 commands from their Lord? As a, as a congregation, we have community groups, Bible studies, prayer groups, ministry teams, fellowship gatherings, so many opportunities to get together, to be together, to learn together, to serve together, to grow together. Outreach events, which I forgot to mention as well. And even in smaller churches, there's no way for everyone to know everyone else. Sometimes I get that. It's like, oh, the church, we already don't know everybody. We don't need anybody new. That's, that's wrong. That's, 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 a, that's a selfish mindset and a non-kingdom mindset. Because the church is always to be growing. One of the weirdest things that's happened since, since the, the whole COVID debacle over the last few years, we're a very different church than we were just a few years ago. Even today, I look out and, and I look around and I'm like, I, I think I'm doing pretty good today because I think I recognize and know about 97%, maybe 95% of the people here. But every Sunday, especially since COVID, there are people that I, I recognize and I see, but I don't know. And I'm not, that's, that's not a brag as a pastor. That's a horrible thing. Pastors should know their people, but haven't had that chance yet because we're a different church with a lot of new people. We're nearly 40% different as a congregation than we were in 2020. Half the church almost is new and different in the last three years. We can't know everybody. I don't know everybody as the pastor working on that. So we've got to continue the mindset that we can't know everybody because that's far too limiting. And that's the, the, the dual edge of this is I've had people say, oh, the church is already too big. I don't know everybody, which means not everybody knows me and I'm not getting all my social accolades. But on the flip side, this, this one always cracks me up as a pastor. This has happened so many times. Somebody who is a part of the church begins to, begins to struggle. They're having some spiritual issues. They fall into some, some sinful behaviors or whatever. Some life things go wrong and, and they fall apart. And they stop coming to church. And so it is 99.9% .9 of the time when I contact them, I know it's a sin issue, but they'll never admit it. They said, oh, I, just, I can't go back to that church. Well, why is that? Oh, because everybody's gossiping about me. Everybody knows what has happened. And I'm like, oh, honey, there's only 10 people who even know who you are. <laughs> and, and, and eight of them, they either don't care or believe me, they're praying for you hard. <laughs> We have this mistaken thing that the, that the church is just everybody knows everybody's business. No, we don't. But we are commanded to be with one another because that's the way God has arranged the body. The body is only healthy when all of the parts are working and doing what they're supposed to be doing. Sicknesses and disease that happens when, when certain parts begin to shut down or don't function or, or are impacted in their functioning. 
We are called to serve one another. Not just to focus on ourselves, but to serve. And one of the best ways to build up the community within the church itself and to reach the community without is through genuine, loving, compassionate, Holy Spirit-driven care. Inviting more people to be with us as we are with Jesus. Rejoice with one another. Mourn with those who mourn. Beautiful, practical advice from the Scriptures. As a church, we will continue to be the body of Christ in the five cities as one expression of the body of Christ. Reaching out and caring for people through People's Kitchen, who our team is serving today. They'll be serving a hot meal today at noon. Our support of five cities, Christian women, the food pantry that serves families, a thousand families uh, around the year. Through our own internal aid and assistance ministry where we help people through different life crises and, and certain times in their lives when they're, when they're struggling. And then in, 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 in hundreds of untold ways, when people in community groups receive bad news and call one another and get together and pray for one another and encourage one another and support one another, same thing happens in our ministry teams and all of that. The body of Christ as withness, being with people in times of struggle. The body of Christ being with people, with the lonely, with the hurting, with the scared, with, Lord, with those who are, who are questioning, with those who are doubting, being with one another. It's just one ministry that we're a part of. And there's stuff inside the church. There's stuff outside the church that we do. But here's the, the main point for today. God has arranged the parts of the body as he has determined. So yeah, if you're weak and you're struggling, you're here for a reason. If you are strong and you are ready to serve and give, yes, you are here for a reason. God has ordained it. There is work to do. So, why are you here? How are you giving? How are you receiving? How are we together being the body of Christ?